How are y'all doing? It's good to see you. I see a lot of new faces or faces that I don't know. So I'm going to introduce myself. Um, sorry if I haven't met you yet, but my name is Tate Hollingsworth. Um, I go here. <laughs> I've been going here for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I went to UNT starting in 2014 and was part of Focus and was really blessed by that. And then I was really blessed getting to go here and be a part of this community. And now that I've been in the adult ministry for a while, um, yeah, I'm just really thankful to have been a part of this community through a lot of different seasons and a lot of different people. And so I'm excited to get to share with you today. Um, yeah, we are, like Leslie said, we're going through our series on Luke um, and we're looking at Jesus. So we're just going chapter by chapter and looking at Jesus' characteristics, at his habits, what he does, his qualities. And essentially, we're just looking at things that we can do too, that we can learn from. Um, and if you haven't been here with us for a while, this is kind of a part of a larger kind of series we've been doing about the apprenticeship of Jesus. And so we're, we are, we've been looking at practices and different practical things to uh, be like Jesus, and now we kind of want to just zoom out and just look at the stories of Jesus, look at what he did and what his ministry looked like on earth. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to share what the Lord's put on my heart with you today. Um, I'm probably going to miss a lot of things, and so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would just speak through what I'm saying and fill in any of the gaps, um, and that you would really be blessed today. Okay, so, so far in this series, we've talked about uh, Jesus's miraculous birth. Jam talked about Jesus's childhood and upbringing. And then a couple weeks ago, Leslie talked about Jesus's baptism in Luke 3. So like she said, we're talking about, or we're going through Luke 4 this week. And I want to focus on two stories from Luke 4. There's kind of a lot that happens. Um, so I'm just going to focus on Jesus's temptation in the wilderness and then the start of his ministry. And I want us to look at how Jesus endured conflict and rejection right before he starts his ministry, and then the lessons that we can take from that. Um, when reading through this chapter, something that really stands out to me is just that Jesus, through temptation and conflict and rejection, and maybe one of his like weakest moments, the um, wilderness experience, Jesus was able to stand firm and know his identity. He knew he was the son of God, and this enabled him to continue with his ministry despite the conflict he encountered. And because Jesus did this, I believe this just opens the door for us to reflect on how we are children of God and can live as Jesus did. Okay, so I've tried to give you guys points, but just bear with me. Don't worry about it too much if you don't follow the points super clearly. I'm going to repeat a lot of the same things throughout the whole series, or whole sermon. Um, but my first point is Jesus accepts his identity. Jesus accepts his identity. <clears throat> oh, my hair's stuck on my Brittany mic. Okay. <laughs> um, so before we get into chapter 4, I kind of want to refresh us on what just happened in Luke 3. So in verses 21 through 22, Jesus is baptized, and this is what it says. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. 
And a voice from God, from heaven, God, said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And you may be familiar with some translations, with whom I am well pleased. So that's pretty amazing, isn't it? While Jesus is being baptized, the heavens opened, whatever that means, I don't know, it sounds glorious, so I'll take it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit rests on him, and the voice of God speaks, calling Jesus his son and says that he is pleased and delighted in him. Wow. So this is a really important foundation to what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to keep this in mind as we go through Luke 4. Okay, so Luke 4 begins with this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Okay, pause. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. The Amplified Translation says that Jesus was full of and in perfect communication with the Holy Spirit. I just think that's a really helpful image of Jesus in this moment. He'd just been baptized, the heavens opened, and he heard God's voice. I think I'd probably want to be communicating with God about that too. So it notes that Jesus ate nothing during these 40 days. It says he was very hungry. So he didn't just use his godly powers to not be hungry. He probably could have, but he didn't. He's human, and he experiences the same things that we do. And I would even argue that Jesus probably knows what it's like to be hangry. <laughs> okay, so let's keep going. In Luke, or verses 3 through 13, it says this. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed, him, revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus resp responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So what do we see happening in these scriptures? What stands out to me is that Jesus was able to withstand temptation because he knew his identity. He knew who he was, and he knew who his father was. That is what anchored him in the midst of his trials in the wilderness. He knew the Holy Spirit was with him and would help him. Remember what had just happened before this? He was baptized, and the father declared that Jesus is his son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the enemy in this situation is trying to trip up Jesus by questioning what God has said and who Jesus is. He's trying to get him to doubt the father and to doubt himself. The devil was trying to deceive Jesus and offer him something that Jesus already had, 
because he was the son of God. He had authority, power, and the protection of his father. Satan does this all the time, doesn't he? He did it in the Garden of Eden, he did it to Jesus in the wilderness, and he does it now. He tries to question who we are or get us to doubt who God says we are. He tempts us with things that we think we want or need or will make us feel better, but actually will just lead to death. He lies to us and tries to outsmart us. He tries to confuse us into thinking that we're not good enough, holy enough, we're too simple, we're too dumb, fill in the blank. But we see Jesus go through this too, and that should be really encouraging to us. We see Jesus in a weakened state with nothing to rely on but the Holy Spirit. And we see him accept his identity in the midst of major conflict and pressure to believe a lie or doubt the truth. But Jesus did not need to prove himself to God or anyone else, including Satan. He didn't need to prove himself because God had already expressed his approval of Jesus when he was baptized. Jesus knows that he is approved of by God, which allows him to accept his identity and be confident in who he is. God didn't send Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted because he wanted him to fail or because he's a mean father. He led him into the wilderness because he had equipped Jesus to succeed and overcome these temptations. He knew that this time of weakness would actually strengthen Jesus for his ministry and the reason he was sent to earth. So when I think about this, what comes to mind for me personally is my job. If anyone knows me well, you know that I love to work. Work is very important to me. And you also may know that I really struggle to not put my identity and value in what I do, and especially my career. So I've told the story before, um, but for those who don't know, in May of 2022, I suddenly lost my job. Um, it was very stressful and unexpected. Um, my husband Aaron was in school, in grad school, and it took me nine months to get another job. So this was definitely like a wilderness experience for me. Every day was honestly just really hard to get through, and it was affecting my mental health, and I just felt so aimless and weary and disappointed and discouraged. Um, and I just didn't know. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't understand. During this time, it was really hard to not be tempted to find my security and identity in a job. I felt pressure to provide for us so we could pay bills and so Aaron could keep going to school. I also just hate the process of applying and interviewing for jobs um, because you're actually being assessed and judged by other people and told that you're not a good fit or you're not qualified enough or maybe you're overqualified. Um, and the temptation to prove yourself is just so strong and even expected. Like, it's just, I don't like it. It's not good. <laughs> um, but it's what you have to do. But I was just so concerned with filling this void in my life with a really good job that was impressive and exciting and paid well. But the Lord was more concerned with my heart. During this time, I could feel the Lord illuminating and stripping away the things I tried to put my identity and my security in. A career, money, how others perceive me, just to name a few. And along with that, he was stripping away the things in my heart that he didn't want to be there. He was stripping away pride, fear, self-preservation, things that were blinding me from being able to see my true identity. 
over time, I was able to see how God was doing this because he loved me. He loved me too much to let me stay in the destructive place of self-promotion and self-importance and fear. He also knew I was too stubborn, or I like to say persevering, <laughs> um, to learn these things without taking away the very thing that was keeping me from seeing my identity. God knew that me not having a job would provide the space I needed to learn more about who he created me to be, to learn how he values me, how he loves me and approves of me, despite how successful or impressive I am. I needed to learn to not strive for approval, but just accept God's approval as his daughter. I learned a lot about myself as a child of God and about God as a good father in this season, and I'm just so grateful for that. Now, I did not withstand these temptations quite like Jesus did, because while well, I'm not Jesus, um, I wasn't out in a desert without food, and I didn't smartly recite scripture back at the enemy when he dangled that really shiny job I wanted in front of me, at least not the way Jesus did. Instead, I probably cried and had a meltdown about it and asked the Lord, why is this so hard, or why don't I have a job yet, and then went to Aaron to remind me that it will all be okay. <laughs> I cried a lot, he can tell you that. <laughs> um, but I take a lot of comfort in Jesus' story because I can relate to it. And I can be encouraged that because we belong to God, we have the power and authority to resist the devil in his lies. And I can have hope in knowing that the Holy Spirit will guide me in my weakest moments, can transform and strengthen me for the purpose of the kingdom. So what are some ways in these temptation stories of Jesus that we see him actually able to accept his identity? And he's, you know, he's resisting the enemy. What are some practical things he did? The first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus prayed. It says he was in perfect communication with the Holy Spirit. That's how he was led into the wilderness, because he recognized the voice of God leading him there in some way. He listened to and obeyed the voice of God. Another is that Jesus trusted his father. He knew God and he knew he would help him. He knew God accepted him as his own. Another is that Jesus knew the word of God. He had studied it and used it as a tool to fight off the lies and temptations from the enemy. All of his replies to Satan were scripture. Another is that Jesus didn't let fear or anxiety control his choices, but he lived by faith. He saw the bigger picture, he saw who he was, he saw the kingdom, and he didn't give in to the deadly offers of the enemy. And lastly, Jesus knew his authority over the enemy. Like, he told Satan. Like, he was like, no, we're not doing this. I know the truth. He stood firm in what he knew to be true. We can take comfort in knowing that Jesus is human too. He knows our suffering, our temptations, and challenges as humans. And we can be grateful that we have a God that comes to us to show us how to be a part of his kingdom. We can be confident that we have the Holy Spirit with us, just like Jesus did, to help us in this life, including our greatest struggles. We can know that we have the same authority over the enemy that Jesus has, because we share his identity. 
and we know that we can use scripture to help us know the truth. I chose to share about my struggles with putting my identity in what I do because I think that's a really common temptation that we've all, all probably experienced in some way. Maybe it's not in your career or your job, but maybe it's in what you do for other people in your relationships. Or maybe it's how well you're doing in school. If you're doing all the right things as a parent, <laughs> how much you make people laugh, how smart or informed you are on the topics of the world. We are tempted to find our identity in so many things other than Jesus. And we need to remember that our identity is not something we do, but whose we are. We are children of God. So we have the opportunity to be like Jesus in the midst of our own trials and temptations. That's my main point. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about here. We can be confident that we are accepted by God, just like Jesus. And he already approves of us and calls us daughters and sons. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. So my next point is Jesus proclaims his identity. Jesus proclaims his identity. Okay, so Jesus leaves the wilderness. He returns home, probably eats a big meal. I'm sure he's really hungry. I like to say that Jesus comes out of his wilderness era and is about to enter his ministry era. Um, that's for all of you Taylor Swift fans, um, if you don't know, if you didn't get that. <laughs> he is about to start his ministry. So let's go back to Luke 4. This is ver uh, verses 14 through 19. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. So now he's reading scripture. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Okay, so what's happening here? Jesus has come out of the wilderness. He returns to his hometown. He goes to the synagogue, which apparently was a common thing for him to do, it says, and reads scripture out loud to the people there. He reads from a well-known passage from the prophet Isaiah. It describes someone who will be anointed to bring hope, to deliver captives, to heal, and to set the oppressed free. It's describing the Messiah that the people of Israel have been waiting for for hundreds of years. Jesus then tells them that he is the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy in Isaiah. He, Jesus of Nazareth, is the one they have been waiting for. This is a very big deal. Like, this is a huge deal that he's doing this. So imagine you grew up with Jesus. Maybe you lived next door to him. You saw him running around the street playing 
Maybe you taught him the scriptures in the synagogue. You know his parents, Mary and Joseph. You saw him lost his front teeth during his, teen awkward, his awkward teen years, and his boy, when, maybe when his voice started to change. Essentially, you were around Jesus. Then you hear that Jesus goes off to be baptized. He's running around a mountain for 40 days for who knows what reason. That's just Jesus being Jesus, I guess. And then he comes back to say that, surprise, he is the Messiah that they have been waiting for for hundreds of years. That would be a little bit weird. <laughs> so what happens next? I'll summarize the next section um, in verses 22 through 30, just because it's a little bit easy to get caught in the weeds. But go ahead and, you know, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to go read it for yourself. But basically, at first, the people he's reading to are amazed. It says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. So this news was shocking to them, but it also was the best news they could have received because it prophesied, it was prophesied that the Messiah would save the Jewish nation. But then, plot twist, Jesus tells them that he's not staying there and is not sent to just them, but is going to go out into the world to minister and bring that good news to others too, to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. They were very offended by this. They were skeptical and deemed him a false prophet, probably because this is not what they were expecting. They were not expecting the Messiah to look like this and to do this. They were so outraged and disappointed that they ran him out of town by leading him to the edge of a cliff. They didn't want him there. They were like, get out. <laughs> Jesus was rejected by his own people, by the people he grew up around and probably loved a lot. He was rejected because he proclaimed his identity as the son of God to them. But Jesus was not discouraged or distracted. He escapes them and carries on with his ministry. Because Jesus knew who he was, he was able to withstand being rejected. In fact, the very next thing we read in Luke 4 after this encounter is that he cast a demon out of someone. So clearly he just carries on with his ministry. He didn't need the acceptance or approval of others, even those he knew very well. He didn't need everyone to agree with him in order to do what he was put on earth to do. He was secure in who he was and confident of the work he was anointed to do. Because Jesus knew who he was, he was able to withstand being rejected. And because Jesus does this, we know that we can endure rejection too. Do you accept Jesus as who he says he is? Or do you reject him? It's just a question to think about. Okay, so my next point is because Jesus knew who he was, we can know who we are. So I already touched on this a little bit in my first point, but I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper. So because Jesus knew who he was, we can know who we are. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit away from the story of Scripture, of the Scripture in Luke 4, and I actually want to go back and focus on the scripture from Isaiah 61 that Jesus read. I want to see what is it saying about Jesus. So I'm going to read a little bit more of the scripture than what he read, because he just reads like a small section. But I want to do this because I think it's really powerful. And I just want you to really listen to what it's saying. So if you need to close your eyes and just try and visualize it, whatever you need to do, follow along. But just pay attention to what it's saying. 
So this is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up or to bandage the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them, give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So what do we see about Jesus here? Jesus is anointed by the Spirit. That means the Spirit was resting upon him for a specific purpose. Remember when the Spirit came on him during his baptism. Jesus is preacher of good news, of hope. Jesus is healer. Jesus is deliverer. Jesus is comforter. Jesus is planter, disciple maker. Jesus is a promise keeper, an encourager, a truth teller. This message from Isaiah 61 was written to the people of Israel but it also applies to us now. Jesus is all of these things listed here. He brings hope, healing, deliverance, comfort, encouragement, truth. He makes us into his disciples. He turns us from tiny seeds or weak, unfruitful branches to blooming oaks of righteousness, strong and with deep roots. Do we accept Jesus as these things in our lives? When we accept this Jesus, we can experience him in these ways in our own lives. And when we experience being healed, delivered, comforted, taught, and encouraged, we are transformed. He transforms us into our new identity. We can become these oaks of righteousness that glorify him because he is the one who planted us and helps us grow. We get to be a part of the kingdom and then we get to be Jesus to others. We are anointed to preach the good news, to bring hope, to bring healing, deliverance, comfort, to make disciples, to encourage. We get to be a part of repairing the ruins and devastations of many generations. That is the kingdom of God. We get to be Jesus to broken people and be a part of them becoming oaks of righteousness. Do you see yourself as these things too? Do you see that you can be this to other people? John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So my final point is because we know who we are in Jesus, we are able to live like him. Because we know who we are in Jesus, we are able to live like him. 
I think we can miss out on the kingdom and the work that God has prepared for us to do when we don't know our identity. The enemy tries to get us to have a warped view of ourselves because he knows that if we're anything at all like Jesus, he has no room to fool us. And he doesn't want that. We are sinners for sure, but I believe that when we are confident in who God says we are, we're able to more easily put the devil in his place. We see that because Jesus knew his identity, we, or he was aware of the power and authority he had over the enemy. He was able to overcome temptation and rejection. So a question I want you to take away with, or take away with you is, what aspects of the kingdom have you missed out on because you gave in to temptation or rejections? What aspects of the kingdom have you missed out on because you gave in to temptation or rejection? And I'm not asking that to make you feel bad or ashamed at all. That's not my intention. But I think it can just be helpful to think about what might be in your way. So for me, when I finally got my current job, I do have a job now, <laughs> um, praise the Lord, um, after nine months, Honestly, I just couldn't wait to find another job I thought that I thought was going to be better and more interesting and more impressive. I really was not excited about taking my job. And it honestly, it was a step down on my resume. It didn't pay as well as I wanted it to. And honestly, I just didn't care about the work I was going to be doing. Actually, I dreaded it, and I was a big baby about it. <laughs> you can ask Erin. Um, but because the Lord is kind and gentle, he pretty quickly showed me how amazing the people that I work with are and how the job was actually a huge blessing and exactly what I needed at the time. In a lot of ways, it was the opposite of what I had before, and that was a good thing. But a good thing I never would have known I needed or would have picked for myself. And even though my job now isn't that impressive, I've grown to really like a lot about it, and I'm really, really grateful for it. It's been a big gift to me. But because I was so focused on myself and still dealing with the temptation to prove my worth and find my identity in a big, shiny job, I almost missed out on the blessings that this job has brought and the people I work with who I love and who really care about me and other people. I almost missed out on sweet friendships that are encouraging and real and joyful. I have lunch with five of them every day, five of my coworkers, and we laugh and we ask how everyone's doing and we share life concerns with one another, we talk about their kids, and we laugh more until we cry, and, and we just share real life together. I almost missed out on this because I was being a baby. I just was not wanting to, I wasn't focused on the kingdom, I was just focused on myself. I almost missed out on this little slice of the kingdom, and that really is the kingdom. People are the kingdom. I also almost missed out on the healing and work that God wanted to continue in my heart through accepting my job. He's proven to me that he knows me better than I know myself. And he knows, he's shown me over and over again how he's a good father to me. He's humbled me and is weakening my appetite for the world and strengthening my appetite for, the, for his kingdom because I've tasted and seen that it is indeed very, very good. He's helping me be more content. Never thought that would happen. <laughs> He's helping me be more content and to follow his leadership instead of what I think I need to do. 
He's just been so faithful to me, and he's making me new. No one else could do that for me except God. I can't do that for myself. So I wanted us to go through Isaiah 61 because it reminds me of this. It humbles me, and it just reminds me of the kingdom. It reminds me why I'm here. I read Isaiah 61 to remind myself of Jesus, what he's done for me and what I can do for other people, to recast my vision for the kingdom when I need it. And I need to be reminded a lot. So I actually want to end by reading it over you as a benediction and encouragement to who you are in God and to live like Jesus. And I'm going to insert, I'm going to change the words a little bit, so don't get mad at me. (laughs) Okay. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon you because the Lord has anointed you to bring good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent you to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He has anointed you to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He has anointed you to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. He has anointed you to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We shall build up the ancient ruins, We shall raise up the former devastations. We shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Okay, the worship team, I think you guys have one more song. You can come back up while I finish up, but you probably zoned out at least once during all of that, Um, or maybe you're a little bit lost, but if you remember just a little bit, I want you to remember this. Jesus knew his identity because he knew his father. Because Jesus knew his identity, he was able to confidently accomplish his ministry on earth. And because Jesus showed us this, we can know our identity and live like him too. Jesus was rejected by many, but accepted by God. And we are too. Jesus came here for you, for us. We get to be a part of his work in bringing the kingdom to earth, and that is why we're here. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for sending your son to just be a perfect model of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. We just thank you for your just acceptance of us and just your great love for us, Lord. And we thank you that you let us be part of your kingdom. Lord, just remove anything that keeps us from seeing our real identity and being accepted by you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.